Hey, everybody, welcome back to another great episode of the Choking Hazard Podcast. We've got a great episode planned for you today. Today, we're getting a chance to sit down with Thomas Rojinski from Roll Academy. Before we get started, don't forget to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you want to see more great guests, athletes, different coaches, and more technique breakdowns, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Don't forget to like and share. We really do appreciate it, and we thank everybody who joins our channel. Today's episode is sponsored by Spirit Leaf Waterdown, located at 64 Hamilton Street North in Waterdown, Ontario. If you're looking for Canada's top cannabis brand, look no further than Alex and his crew at Spirit Leaf Waterdown. There, you're going to find all your CBD and THT product needs and accessories. Just look out for them. Follow us on Instagram and them on Instagram, and you're going to save money every single time you shop there. Thanks, everybody, for joining. We hope you enjoy the episode, and we'll see you soon on the map. As we can kind of saying, like I had to call my mom to understand how to say your last name because I'm like I can't I kept butchering it. It was bad. Like right, my wife and I were like talking, and she's like, "You're mom, terrible. How the hell do I say this guy's last name?" Whatsoever. I'm like, "No, I don't." So I call her, and then she's like, "Okay, hold on." Like, and then she sent me the um, basically like how to say it in like regular English. So it's Rose Gin and then Ski. I'm like, "Okay, perfect. I can do this." <laughs> no, it was. It was pretty good. And I t- I'll tell you, like, I can, I can tell you endless stories when a male comes into the house and my wife is like, is this even for us or this is for something else? Like somebody butchered the name so many different yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah. It just comes something completely different. But yeah, it's, I suppose it's part of the dynamic of being a foreigner. So it is what it is. Aaron, hey, did, your so- mom, did, Aaron did your mom say you're a disappointment for asking? No, no. But you see, like, how she did, did you, little Aaron? What is wrong with you? How do you? Again, how do you say this? But like on my side of the family, like, like both sides are Polish, so both sides are pretty easy, right? Where my mom's side is pretty simple, but then my dad is just like is gal, right? But we're like ninety five percent sure, especially like during occupied Poland during the war, they changed the name. Because yeah. they think it was probably like, and they used to do this to a lot of people. So they used to, they changed it from like, whatever it was. They think it was like probably like Goliski or whatever, but then they just like, well, I'm not writing this crap. And then they just put gal, oh, yeah. they stamp a passport and that's it. Right. So yeah. I don't know. Like, it, it's one of those things that's probably lost in translation. And it's like, I just go with it. <laughs> but well, as we're, well, there you go. Yeah, that's it. Well, that's our intro, everybody. But welcome back to the Smoking Hazard <laughs> podcast. We are joined today with Thomas Rojinski out of, sorry, and where are you coming out of? You're Virginia right now, right? No. I'm, Chicago. I'm Chicago. Chicago. Sorry. Yeah. Out of Chicago. Suburbs of Chicago. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. So thank you so much for joining us this evening. Oh, thanks for having me. It's, it's a blast to talk to you guys. And it's, it's, uh, it, this definitely was a unique intro. Yes, exactly. Spend, spending whole three minutes on my last name, it definitely creates a dynamic here. So <laughs> we're, we're all about like informal. And, and, and Aaron, and Aaron like disappointing his ancestors. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, right? It, it, a, we try to keep it as simple as possible. We don't want to make it too formal. You know, people feel like they need to like perform a certain way. We want you to be authentic. We want you to kind of just lay it out as it is. Hey. Here it comes, right? Boom, let's start. 
Exactly. So I think I will we always start off very simple where it's like, obviously you are a BJJ practitioner. You're also a judo black belt as well. So like, mm-hmm. how did you even get involved in like Brazilian jiu-jitsu at the beginning? Was it like you start with judo? Would you start with BJJ with other martial arts? How did your whole evolution come into play? You know, I, I think um, in, in, in this story has been told many times, especially with my students, particularly who have interacted with me. I use the story quite a bit. Um, as a motivational factor, but you know, I, I, I didn't want to do jujitsu. It, 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 this goes back about 20, 22 years ago. Um, I worked in a corporate life. I was in the corporate life. I had a pretty good career getting off the ground as a young individual. Um, you know, and my boss, my, my, my direct boss in the office, I was sitting right next to him. Um, he did jujitsu. He did jujitsu with Carson Gracie. Uh, Carson Gracie Sr. Um, so one, it didn't get much closer to the source as he was at that point of time. But I had no freaking idea what jiu-jitsu was. Um, matter of the fact, at that point of my life, um, you know, I had nothing to do with physical exercise. I had nothing to do with um, any type of activity. You know, walking up the stairs was like a chore at that point, you know, um, and I call this a fluffy Thomas stage of my life. You know, there was clearly a, an extra, a pound of two or 20 on top of what it should have been, you know, and, you know, Eric, shout out to Eric right now, good friend of mine to this day, um, you know, he took some strategic steps to, um, introduce me to jujitsu, you know, and it wasn't one of those, um, you know, drag you to the gym, but it was a lot of the psychology, those, those mental games, you know, ah, you should try this, ah, you know, take a look at this, you know, and he kept doing things and, you know, just poking the bear, if you will. And you got to remember, this is 20 plus years ago, which means Google didn't exist. YouTube was not even thought of at that point. There was no such thing as BJJ fanatics. You know, none of that existed. It is like at that point there was maybe one or two books, period, around everywhere about jujitsu. Nobody really knew what it was. And here in the Chicago area, there were a handful, and I really mean handful, probably four or five um, academies that called themselves the jujitsu places that really trained jujitsu. You know, and he made some strategic points of poking the bear, really annoying me. And at some point. At a point of time, I was like, fine, you know, just leave me freaking alone. I'm going to go. I'm going to try this. Let's see where this goes, you know, and it's it, it is, as interesting as it happens, you know, it, it I, I did give it a try and I fell in love with it. And, you know, as time went on over next weeks, months and then years, you know, I was I was pretty hooked. It didn't take much for me to really get sucked into the jujitsu vortex, if you will. Um, and, and continue getting my, stimulated with my mind, with my body. And, and then within, I think, um, a year and a half or so, I lost significant amount of weight. I went from, I think, like 240 to 160, mm-hmm. uh, 170. So significant amount of weight, you know, and, and, and really became a, a healthy addiction, um, healthy lifestyle you know everything in my life starts surrounding around jiu-jitsu and 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 and, and here we are now i get this opportunity 20 plus years later 
you know, to sit down with you guys and talk to you guys and tell the story. And a lot of people really find this fascinating because they do find themselves in a similar similar points of their lives, just literally a couple decades later, a couple decades later, um, you know, and, and it's, it's just fascinating how life evolves and how, how things unfold on their own without even trying. And then you end up in such a different position that you would have been if you didn't make these decisions at that time. It's funny you mentioned that because I think a lot of, I had this conversation with a lot of people where it's just, I feel like jiu-jitsu is one of those things. It's like, you just got to try it. And it's either like, you, you know, I think immediately whether this is for you or not. And I think, I think that's probably what you said. Like, Hey, you just did it. All right. I'm just going to shut this friend up. I'll go one time. Mm -hmm. And then you just been doing it ever since. Yeah. And, and you know, you're right. Absolutely. It, it is one of those things that I think one individuals are very hesitant to try. Um, but once they do, it becomes extremely mind stimulating. And, and the physical factor is one thing, because obviously we grapple, we push, we, we resist and so on. So it's, there is a physical aspect behind this, but I, I think more often than not is the mind stimulation where really gets people in is how, how the hell this is happening? How is this even possible? You know, how is it possible that I can reverse somebody who is twice my size? Or how is it possible that I can apply these, these maneuvers or, or, or get through these positions um, with clear disadvantage? As an outsider looking at this, you know, and looking at jujitsu in general, it just, it shouldn't work. And yet it does. Um, and I think that's a huge factor for a lot of people to get stimulated. And even today, like, you know, I have the privilege to, to have some students and, and teach academy to kind of relay the knowledge that I have acquired over the last couple decades. And, and, and it's just mind blowing. A person who is unwilling to touch anybody, they, they're just freaked out about touching God, let alone touching sweaty guys, mm. you know, literally just three weeks later, they are like, just, just sucked into it. And, and they are so, so, just in, they are embracing the fact of continuous troubleshooting and, and that their passion for jujitsu as is. I, th I think it's interesting because you also talk about like breaking through that barrier and like getting people to connect in a totally different way where yeah. they never would have really connected with other individuals like that before where the, whether they were introvert, extrovert, whatever, but now all of a sudden they're, they become like, fascinated with okay i need to get connected with more people and i need to go travel to different schools or see different people and build that community more than anything no 100 percent agree it's like it's it is something very unique like you don't see this in crossfit you don't see this in running you don't see this in swimming that bond that gets created between people and and the continuous that you know, I call it hamsters going over overtime in our heads, just trying to solve these problems. It's a continuous troubleshooting. But you pick up on something really interesting, right? You said, um, you know, that barrier that takes place to get people into the academy. And I always tell at least my instructors, and if I can speak to any instructors out there, it's like in my mind, there's three things that people really are hesitant of when they are coming into the academy. Um, one is getting hurt. Nobody wants to get hurt ever right? like it's just even if we train hard if we if we push you know we don't want to get hurt nobody wants to get hurt so that's a big 
always a big, big concern behind everybody's first time going into this martial art academy, jiu-jitsu academy. Two, we don't want to get embarrassed. We don't want to get embarrassed. Nobody, want, nobody wants to say, you know, it, it, you did something stupid. And, and believe it or not, every time we step on the mat for very first time or doing anything for the very first time, we, we are very likely to be embarrassed. And three, we don't want to be wrong. You know, and, and again, we're stepping into something that we're doing for the very first time, and, and yet we don't want to be wrong. We don't want to acknowledge that fact. So I often say to at least my instructors and many others out there, if we can avoid these three things in the first week of somebody stepping on the mat, they are very likely to actually love this. You know, it's just avoiding these things. And, and believe it or not, it's not so easy to avoid these things. I mean, very likely they will be wrong. The first time they're stepping on the mat, they will be, it just, whatever they do, the mechanics of their body moving and not, not knowing things, they will be wrong. As a result of it, they will be probably embarrassed. So softening those blows is extremely important. And obviously if they get hurt at that point, like that's a big big impact you know psychologically and physically on somebody right so avoiding those three it's it's critical to somebody mm -hmm. not only starting jiu-jitsu but also continuing jiu-jitsu and then if you think about it even deeper if somebody has a bad experience with jiu-jitsu on the very first day they will tear they will tell their family they will tell their friends and then somebody who might have you know remotely even explored that opportunity now they won't so it's so important that first day, the first week, make it not necessarily easy, but to avoid these obstacles that people are trying to avoid and really be very transparent about them. But at the same time, you know, safety is important, especially in today's world. You know, it's, it is what it is. So it's very different than it was 20 years ago. I'll tell you that. So what you're saying is Aaron shouldn't be toe holding the white belt that's trying as on a trial class. No, no. <laughs> you know, first week. You know, you know, it might not be the smartest thing to to rip somebody's heel. You know, when they're on the first day on the mat. <laughs> God damn it, Aaron! That's the fifth one this month. Fifth, fifth, there you go. There goes your plan. <laughs> um, but but yeah, no, I wanted to ask you about that because like when you see. Like, I'll just use them as an example, like uh, the Henner Gracie Academy. They always do those videos like John went to three jujitsu academies and John, tell us about your experience of how they were and then why you ended up in our doors. And, and you hear of all these, again, it happens all over the country, obviously in the US and Canada, no different, right? And I think it happens all over the world where you get these individuals where they go to different schools and then they, they just have these bad experiences. And like, do you think this is just like instructors not being careful enough to understand what they should be showing brand new beginners or is it just like an ego thing like i don't know what do you think you know i, I think in general you can you can separate jiu-jitsu academies in two pillars or two categories one is clubs and two is the actual businesses that offer jiu-jitsu as a service um and and i want to make this frame i want to frame this right up front there's no wrong in either one. There, 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 there are individuals who love being part of a club when they will beat the crap out of each other, barely walking off the mat, perhaps puking, and it's all dirty, and just you walk out and you 
come back because you love it. But there is something else offered in the academy that is structured, professional, takes care of, 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 of the students, and it provides much different experience. Um, and again, it, it's up to the student to select which one they like. However, it does happen, I think, way too many times where a student is exploring jiu-jitsu. They have no idea what it is. And they stumble upon an, a, a club that is very, uh, you know, let's just say, you know, very close circle. And, and they really go hard. And that experience for the brand new person is just not, not as what they want it to be. And, and, and not understanding what a brand new student needs is a critical factor, whether they will continue or not, right? And particularly, I'm, I'm talking here about, you know, a doctor or a lawyer or a police officer who, who they, they don't need jujitsu to survive their life. They, they need jujitsu because it's their hobby. They need it as an as a, as a escape. They need something to, to just stimulate their mind. They need it as an exercise, something that they can do two, three, four times a, a week, something where they can get away from the reality of life that they experience that definitely has a higher priority than that gym, right? And putting them in a position where they're going to get smashed on the very first day of very first week and perhaps even get hurt, it really is not setting them for success. And, you know, it's unfortunate that those places, you know, don't look at it from that perspective. But again, those places serve somebody else. And, and, and it's really important. It's critical, in my opinion, for a student who is just exploring that to really do their research and really find out what they are walking into and who is, who is presenting this jujitsu service to them. And if that place is really, you know, for them or not. And, and it does happen that some places are just not for the student that they're, they're there. And that's fine too. No, you, you made a lot of very valid points. And we're kind of on the subject of, you know, we're talking about like how to get more students into into jujitsu, but like, you know, you, you run your own academy, a uh, role academy out in Chicago. And I guess since we're on this topic already, like, what is it, what does it take to be uh, a successful academy owner? Like in your view, is it, cause you talked about the differences. There's like, a, there's a club and then there's like a, you know, there's a school and academy. Like what, what does it take to run something success, uh, successfully? You know, and I think that will depend really what success means to you. And that will vary. You'll ask 100 black belts what, what's successful to them. And very likely, you're going to get 100 different answers. You know, some will drive towards the competitions. Other will drive towards having that club where they can have literally 20 guys just pounding each other. And that's fine, too. You know, others might not look at the presentation of the academy as a highest priority. And that's fine, too. You know, and, and then again, you will find plenty of academies around Canada or US or around the country or around the world where you walk into like a you know five-star hotel like you 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 have a granite countertops and the bathrooms and the showers are so clean that you don't want to take a shower because you're going to make it dirty and that's fine too because each of those serves a different demographic of people and and really what is successful it is for that individual whoever owns that business to really figure out who they want to cater towards. And, and, and once they figure that out, I think they can make it successful. Now, 
you know, fr from a jujitsu perspective, if we take the business side away from it and we just look at a jujitsu itself, you know, I think success is really defined, at least in my eyes, you know, if you find a group of people that, that enjoy what you do, then you are very likely successful. Now, we don't know if you're making a living on it. We don't know if you are saving for your retirement. We don't know if we're paying for your college, for, for your kid's college. We don't know that, but you're definitely successful in the fact of running a place which provides jujitsu. And if you find a group of people that will take that and, and receive that information from you, then you know, I, some would find that very, very successful. I, th I think you made a lot of really good points there, right? It is just finding out, again, it, every other individual needs to understand what business model they want to kind of follow, really. And mm -hmm. it's like, what type of school do they want, right? Do they just want to have that training, like friends training and build that club and that slowly manifests into something? Or is it an actual business? Are they trying to make a, a living off of that? I think that's a big thing that people have to understand and make that decision first before they even get into deciding to own a school or not yeah and yeah absolutely and, and it's that's the hard part because i think if you look at all instructors or all jujitsu academy owners we all have a lot of passion behind what we do we love jujitsu we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't love jujitsu right but there, there, there are those differences, how things are being pre presented. You know, th this is what I think beautiful behind jujitsu itself, that there's not one governing body over all the academies, all the, all the competitions, all the, uh, you know, just over the jujitsu itself. It gives us a lot of freedom to create what we think is the best to be created and how it's being presented. Now, you don't see these things like in, if you take, let's say, wrestling or judo, you don't, you don't see these things. Everything is very structured. There is one mm -hmm. governing body over it, and that body really presses down the rules, you know, which creates a very unified front. But at the same time, there is no freedom. There, not as much freedom, I should say, you know, that things are being presented in a very similar way across the world or across the country, whichever community you look at. So we find ourselves in a unique time, I think, in jiu-jitsu where we do have that freedom, yet we're trying to structure this to be um, very presentable. Because let's be honest, if people stop training jiu-jitsu, we all kind of going to look at each other and say, well, that sucks. Right. I mean, we want more people to train jujitsu. Is that just the question is how do we present this to the individuals who've never heard of jujitsu to join it in? Right. And there's a big difference between having a college student starting jujitsu after immediately after stopping their, you know, semi-pro wrestling program. And then we have somebody who is an attorney and in his 50s or 40s, and one is like, well, let me let, let me try this out. Let me see what this thing is all about. Like, I mean, th these are two different demographics with probably very different goals in their life and in their jujitsu aspect, you know, and how do you cater towards them? That's like the million dollar question for every instructor who, who finds himself out there. I think it's just a big thing is you got to know like why people are there and like, what, what is their why? And I think me and Aaron have talked about that. Cause like, we're both like personal trainers as well. It's like, 
why is this person coming to see us? Like, what do they want mm-hmm. to accomplish? And basically yeah. what you said, it's two totally different people and two differently, two totally different parts of their lives. Like they're going to have different reasons for each one of why they're there. hundred percent. hundred percent. I mean, knowing, knowing your students is part of the success, yeah. right? And it's, it, 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 again, more, more you're able to cater towards your students, more safer environment that you present, you know, it's probably going to bring more success to those individuals. Now, second thing that we really have to acknowledge, and I think this is something new, you know, kind of coming up in the last 10 or 15 years, is not everybody's going to be a world champion. You know, and, and I think 20 years ago, when, when I was starting with Carson Gracie Senior Camp, like I remember Stefan Bonner getting ready for, for tough one, you know, and everybody was literally pounding him into the ground, getting him ready for the tough fights. Like that doesn't exist anymore. You know, maybe it does in some areas, but majority of jujitsu population has no desire to be on tough or be on UFC, be in UFC or be a professional MMA fighter or defend their lives for in some kind of crazy scenarios. Majority of people simply want to explore this. That's one, two, learn a new skill set, two, be stimulated, and three. Honestly, make friends. I mean, that, that, that's why we are there. And, and if so it happens that that drives towards the healthy lifestyle that we all desire, you know, it, it, it kind of pushes us in that, that direction. But definitely, you know, being pounded in the face and, and, and walking out with black eyes or busted lips every single day, I don't think it's a desire for most of the students. So... Let me ask this, because as we're talking, talking about like, you know, how there's obviously governing bodies, you know, you have the freedom to do things that we're doing right now, especially in jujitsu. But like, we can also see that the rise of like, Nogi BJJ is like, mm-hmm. obvious. like it's happening, right? And you see like, the training, and I guess like maybe it's a school thing, or like both schools will offer both. But like, do you still see like training in the, in the gi being essential to you know preserving jujitsu the way it is, or do you just see that split happening more that it, it's just going to branch off and eventually come its own thing? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen in ten years. I have no idea. I'm going to be like fifty and probably barely walking <laughs> after all the jiu-jitsu training that I do. But but the the truth of the matter is that yeah, the split is that it, it is happening and it's happening right in front of our eyes. And if if one is unwilling to acknowledge that, I think you know there might be a surprise in the next you know ten years or so. Um, but I I think a lot of this is really sourcing from the fact of athletes having ability to make money so if you look at um sustain sustainability of an athlete and how they can make money professionally right there's only only few ways one they can go into mma i mean that's very clear right and some of them have done it some of them are very successful in this and some of them have failed and that's fine right but two and two factor two is running their own academies which again some of them have done it and some of them you know are successful but then there is a separate factor of comp- competition. And because jujitsu is so, there's no overseeing body of it. It's very fluid, right? So we have all these organizations, you know, who's number one. We have, you know, ADCC, you know, we obviously have IBJJF and they all have their own flavors of a quote unquote professional 
athlete, right? Where athlete gets paid for their performance. Now, it, you know, it, I haven't looked at the numbers recently, but I, I, I don't know if an athlete can really make a significant amount of money just doing these performances, you know, two, three, four times a year. You know, it, it has to be a really on a consistent basis in a season almost every month in order for them to really sustain. And I am not talking about Gordon Ryan's. I'm not talking about the ones who are at the top of the food chain. I'm talking about everybody else. Yeah. Right. And this is where, mm -hmm. this is where the no gi comes in. And I think the no gi is a beautiful, beautiful avenue and, or an opportunity for some of these guys to really provide an entertainment factor for people who are watching it. Because I mean, let's be honest. And I'm a gi guy. Like this is coming from a guy who does jujitsu in a gi, you know. I think no gi is by far more entertaining. Mm -hmm. You know, the the gi is the, is is the item that slows everything down. It's so technical; you can't see anything because we are so close to together. You know, but no gi is the is 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 the format where things are more fluid they're more dynamic they're more flashy there's there's definitely the entertainment factor watching it from the outside and then imagine somebody who hasn't done jiu-jitsu who's just watching it as a spectator now that is becoming you know by far more appealing it's almost like wrestling it's almost like judo it's like almost like you know this is where we're getting into this quote-unquote grappling area it's not jiu-jitsu anymore it's grappling Right, where the rules are slightly skewed, they are made perhaps even more beneficial towards the audience, so it's more appealing. And again, all of this is designed for one to make money, right? For per views or whatever, per you know, however this is being structured, but two to provide much more entertaining factor for you know for, for, for the for, for the fighters to to engage in these in these dynamics so um you know do i think that the split is happening yes absolutely it's happening in front of our eyes and, and we should be acknowledging that do i think jujitsu gi will go away absolutely not i don't think it will i think there is a there's going to be a big difference i think between you know, we're looking, you know, five or 10 years out down the road, I think it's going to be a huge factor of, of no gi jiu-jitsu or grappling jiu-jitsu um, or grappling in general, turning into a semi-professional, if not professional sport. And then gi jiu-jitsu remaining a very traditional self-defense, you know, for individuals who, who have their own professions, who just want to go and train jiu-jitsu and and perhaps is by far more strategic. And again, I'm not taking away from the no gi guys, but provide that safer and more um, mind stimulating platform for individuals to train. Um, I don't know, that's just my thoughts. I could be very wrong on this. I think you can also see a split like the IBGF, for example, is like, I don't want to call it like an amateur tournament, but like, you know, there's they're starting to pay at like some of like the bigger events, but like, you see a lot of like the gi tournaments and a lot of the tournaments like in the IBGF are kind of like feeding into like, you know, you go that you win, you win some of those, you get noticed by like who's number one. And then you mm -hmm. get into more like the no gi side of things. So it's like, I think they both kind of play into each other. Me and Aaron have had this conversation a lot where like, you'll use like those tournament scene to kind of feed into like, you know, you know, this person's getting noticed and then they do like an ADCC trials or, 
this person's getting noticed and they're ending up on like a who's number one card, for example. Is that, is that kind of maybe the way you see things maybe going playing out in the future? I see like a lot of like, I say maybe older practitioners doing a lot more like the, like, you know, like master's worlds, things like that. I, I see that also being a, a more popular thing for older competitors while like the younger competitors maybe making a run of some of those uh, other tournaments too. You know, somebody made an interesting comment to me um, just a handful of weeks ago and I said um, that no gi grappling, like ADCC, for example, who's number one, you know, it's kind of going towards that professional UFC kind of like mm. avenue versus IBJJF is going towards the Olympic side um mm-hmm. route you know yeah. and again neither one of them is wrong but these are very two different ways like nobody's making millions on olympics but there's this prestige of being at olympics being there there's this recognition heavy recognition of being recognized as a, as a medalist at, at at olympics and again you're not making much money off of that um mm-hmm. but you know there's this opportunity however you can go into these um, private organizations like UFC, you know, are now public, but you know what I mean? It, it's getting into this professional area where you can really make money, but it's kind of pivoting in a slightly different direction. And I think, you know, we'll see how time, how all this unfolds. Again, we are in this unique, unique time in jujitsu where we have all these opportunities. Um, and, and you know, who, who knows? I mean, who knows? It's going to be interesting to watch all of this kind of, you know, how all this unfolds in the next, in the next decade or so. Mm-hmm. No. And, and one thing I look at it too, is you like ADCC, for example, it's every two years or well, three years since this last mm-hmm. one because of uh, yeah. COVID. Right. But you think about IBJJF where they're every year where, and again, as you're saying, like they want to go more into that Olympic type style, where it's almost like they should almost scale it to where, because again, you could jump into a tournament every month right now, if you really wanted to, right? Where then you have your Pan Ams, then you have your Worlds, or then there's the Masters Worlds, Masters, or whatever, yeah. right? And so it's almost like if you want to go that route, they should almost be thinking like, we need to kind of not necessarily scale back, but you also have to have like this top tier competition where maybe that's once every two years or once that's every four years where you're creating a bigger prestige around it compared to it being every year. I, I don't know. That's just a thought I'm thinking right now, but. It's definitely a thought, right? It's something interesting that, you know, we always trying to figure out how to grow the sport and grow the competition, you know, and, and I do have no idea what guys at IBJJF really are thinking every single year by mm-hmm. doing the things that they do. But I do think that they have something unique. And I think perhaps they are trying to hold on to that because think about it from that perspective. There's no other tournament in gi with the same prestige as ibjjf and i Mm -hmm. I mean they hold a certain certain standard right and by deviating from that they might actually be you know competing with people they don't want to compete they are not adcc and they know they are not Mm -hmm. you know and the adcc ADCC knows they are not ibjjf and they don't compete with them in that factor so they are kind of again separating these two mediums if you will 
And perhaps they are doing this intentionally. I have no idea what's in their heads and what their plans are for the next decade or so. But it's it appears to me that they, there's no desire of creating IBJJF as a professional event where athletes would be paid, you know, tens of or hundreds of thousands of dollars for performance is it appears to me that they the the revenue stream coming in from it's from the thousands of people who are actually competing and is on much mm-hmm. smaller scale so making it available to every every joe every joe schmo or every you know average person to really compete in these competition versus adcc doesn't have that ability if you want to compete in that in adcc you really have to be an athlete I mean, that, yeah. that's what it kind of boils down to, you know, mm-hmm. years, years back, you had to place and you, or you had to be invited today. You have these, um, you know, um, uh, what do you call it? A trial. You have to trial win the events. trials, I think. Right. Yeah. They have trial events around the world and that's how you kind of go up into ADCC. But th- this is all designed to narrow down to the professional athletes or the quote unquote professional athletes, the yeah. guys who really take it seriously. Right. So the goal behind the two events is very different. Yeah. There, I think there are two kind of basically what you're saying. There's kind of two uh, branches off of like the same tree, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so talking about competing, we're talking about the IBGF. We're talking about like a lot of older competitors. Like, uh, I don't know. We're all, we're all over the hill like Aaron. So uh, give us some <laughs> advice for older competitors over the, you know, like such as Aaron, me, I'm getting up there in age as well. Uh, what are some, what are some things that you suggest to people that are, you know, that are in your Academy? Like, you know, like, let's say like the doctors and the lawyers that are in their forties and fifties that are like, you know what, I, I want to step up my training a bit. Maybe I want to do like an IBJJF masters tournament, for example, like what, are, what's some advice that you give to them? All right, first of all, you guys are young studs comparing to me. I'm like the old dude around here. So, um, but, I, you know, when it comes to, you know, really a competition, I, th- I think you really have to look at it from two points. One is, you know, how serious you want to be about this. What's your goal? You know, and I do encourage all students to really compete at some point of time because that experience is replaceable. Being put in a position where anxiety is up to the roof and, 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 and an adrenaline rush takes over, um, it, it, it is something that you can't really replicate anywhere else. At the same time, I think most of the individuals who train jujitsu, you know, they have their profession. They, they, they don't want to have their arm broken. They don't have the shoulder re- replaced or, you know, dislocated, whatever. They, they don't want to afford those injuries. So there's a lot of hesitance behind that. Right. There's, uh, you know, is it worth it? You know, in a, a lot of those questions always arise. Um, so I always tell students, really, you, you have to ask yourself if, if, if this is what's your desire? What's you what do you want to do? What is your goal? And, you know, I've had some students who literally trained jujitsu for six, 10 years and they've never competed. And that's fine. You know, but. There are also some individuals who are very competition driven. They love the adrenaline rush and they love the stimulation of, you know, that, that, that anxiety of being there, anticipation and really competing physically and mentally, solving that puzzle as it's happening, mm-hmm. you know, in the competition scenario. Um, so I always say, listen, if you're going to do it, do it early on. 
You know, don't wait until you're a purple belt to do your first tournament. I mean, that, that really is putting a lot of pressure on yourself. It doesn't mean you won't be successful, but it's putting a lot of pressure on yourself. Do start early on, start as a white, blue, you know, and, and then, you know, you can choose whether that's something for you or not. But I often think that is a personal decision mm-hmm. to, for, for a student to really engage in, the, in, in, in a competition or not. Yeah, no, I, I think that's smart, right? Like figuring out what their goal is, main thing. And then again, really starting off earlier. I, I think when you're waiting until purple belt or brown belt, it's like almost like it's kind of too late at that point. It's also, it's a lot of pressure. Your, your ship has sailed, Aaron. It, it's all, it's all done. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. I, Aaron, I made that decision. Aaron's master, Aaron, Aaron's master seven next year. Aaron, there's no hope for you, man. <laughs> See? You can't even say Paul, his last name. Paul, Paul said it. That's it. So I don't have to do Masters World now. So like we've already come to this decision. I'm good. Aaron, you need to stop. Stop being a little pussy and fight Sanji. <laughs> <laughs> Masters three, Sanji Abero, Aaron Gall. I know. Like, <laughs> I, I think like Mike's goal for me right now is like, yeah, we want to go to world and we want to see you just get smashed. <laughs> just, just, just get smashed to see how it feels like, like I could just go and like do a private and it probably be a little, little bit better experience rather than going and just get smashed on and end up on flow. Like I prefer <laughs> not to do that. Oh my God. I yeah. know that guy. Oh, he's like, Oh, Sanji's on top of him. And now, yeah. yeah. You know, that, that's the interesting part about all this because it's like the guys we used to look up to, or we still look up to, you know, they are in your division now. They, yeah, they're, they're exactly. the ones you would be competing. Like, <laughs> I know. Aaron's, Aaron's going to look at the division, Sanji Abrera. Yeah, like, like, out of here. <laughs> if Hadja jumped into IBJJF, he probably would be like in my division or even division below me. Like, you know what? It, like, you don't think about these categories, but that, that's part of the game. That's, that's, I think, what is making a lot of students really spin their wheels. It, it is... You know, I'm there, I'm going to go and compete, but like, who's going to be against me? And some of these guys, literally, they have the academies, they, they do this for a living. They, they, they do this semi-professionally even. I mean, I know some guys who literally go to every single IBJJF competition because they just love it. And, and that, that changes things when you are a, a doctor or an attorney and you just want to do one competition. Like that, that's, that's a game changer, right? You, but again, I think that's the unique part about jiu-jitsu that is, especially about IBJJF, that you really have this unique opportunity to compete with some of these semi-professionals. Mm-hmm. You know, you got, you, you got Magaton doing adult divisions for yeah. the last freaking two decades, and he has no <laughs> desire to go in, in the Masters, you know? And it's like, where else are you going to roll with Magaton? Like, I mean, that's the beauty behind it yeah no exactly but like when you look at like okay so everybody's like these high level competitors you know they're they're getting out on the stage they're performing especially whether it's in ibjf or who's number one they're doing all these different tournaments and then they're really advertising for themselves whether they're again when we talk about making a revenue stream for themselves and they start building instructionals right Mm -hmm. and so and like yourself, like you've done a lot of instructionals as well. You also have your kind of online platform that you've done. So like, 
I want to look at it like on two factors where it's like, especially as an academy owner, as an instructor, how do you kind of build your instructional content? Like, do you try to take your concept and try to build it around that and then just kind of branch it off? Or is it like you're taking the things you're really good at and those are the things you want to teach? Uh, that's like the million dollar question. Right? <laughs> Listen, it's, it's first, I'm going to tell you this. Anything you want to learn online, I think you can learn online for free. That, that's my belief. You can, you can literally right now go on YouTube and Google or, or, you know, find whatever search platform you want. And you can very likely you can find whatever you want at no cost. I think the world has changed when you have these instructionals, which all these instructionals, all these instructors build essentially a little systems and they provide their own perspective. And so you're not necessarily paying for, or you, when you're building this from an instructor perspective, right? When you're building these things, you're not necessarily providing anything that anybody, um, there is unknown. You're not developing anything new. You're providing your own interpretation of the system or, uh, of these set of techniques or, or whatever, whatever the instructional is about. And I think that is what most of the students will buy into. And that's why they would purchase this, right? I mean, if you want to learn about smash passing, you go on YouTube, you find probably, I don't know, but probably 10,000 videos right now. Like it, it, there is, there is no secrets behind any of this. Matter of fact, there's plenty of instructors who will post very freely their content on YouTube for completely free, right? But there is something unquestionable about having a system and having a bigger comprehension of this whole system, you know, and Denahar does this phenomenal way, you know, some love him, you know, it's like this, this love-hate relationship, I think, with John, where, you know, he presents these things in a very complex or breaks down these very complex systems in a, in a, in a comprehensible ways, you know, and some people love it. Some people say that it's too much, you know, you know, again, that, that's for one to, to judge. But again, you're buying into what he, the way how he thinks, the way how he processes information. So when I look at this from a from an instructor perspective, it would be the same thing. How do I present my knowledge, my interpretation of these different subsets of techniques to the students so they can benefit from it? You know, and it, 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 so it happens that we can make money. I mean, I mean, I mean obviously, there's costs associated with making videos and paying staff and, and running this online, whatever that is, you know. So there, there, there is some, you know, there, there is a second goal behind all of this to really support ourselves as, as, as professionals doing this for a living. Um, you, know, you know, but I think that's the important part to, to really keep in mind when you're purchasing instructional. It, it's who do you want you know, who are you purchasing? What, what is their thought? How is their brain work? You know, can you relay and can you really understand what they are trying to tell you? Um, you know, I, like I, it, you know, I talk about my, on my podcast about this a lot with a lot of guests and it's like a good practitioner does not equal to the phenomenal instructor. You, you can have hundreds of gold medals. You can be a 10 time world champion. And it does not make you a good instructor. You know, matter of fact, I think, you know, there are some studies showing this, that in the, and this is not jujitsu related necessarily, but just sports in general, the guys who have not been 
a, a, a high level performers as athletes, they're actually very good, very good instructors. The guys who, you know, play, you know, second, third, fifth, 10th place in that ranking, they're actually very good instructors, you know? So there's something behind all of this and finding a good instructor who can really relate the information that you're looking for is a key because end of the day, we are here to learn. We are here to get better at this. We want to, for our judges to get better. So, I mean, why not find somebody who, who makes this easier for us? When I was starting 20 plus years ago, we, we had one book or two books and that's it. And, you know, just imagine flipping through the same pages over and over and trying to figure out what the guy meant between the picture one and picture two. It was yeah. like, you're missing seven steps over there. It's like, <laughs> what the hell was this? And then you're trying to create your own stuff and you can't even get in touch with the guy. You know, versus today, like one, you can watch, you know, dozens of videos on the same thing. Plus you can message them and it's like, hey, what does this mean? You know, and, and very likely most of the community is very open-minded where they actually mm. respond to you and you can engage with these guys. I mean, that, that's a phenomenal place for students to be. Yeah. yeah, I think I think there's what you mentioned is there's a big difference between like top level competitors and like top level coaches. And a lot of times it's, you, you even said not necessarily the top level competitors or good coaches. Like I think John Danner, a perfect example. Like he's not like a 17 time world champion or anything like that. He's just like somebody who's been around some of the best minds in jiu-jitsu and has just figured out basically like a mm -hmm. systems of how to, I guess, connect everything together. I think that's probably mm -hmm. like the big secret with, you know, the success of like, let's say like his instructionals or like Gordon Ryan's is it's, everything's kind of, like everybody, like you said, like, oh, you can Google a smash pass and you can see like hundreds of different people doing them on YouTube. But I think it's the way they, they teach it and systemize everything where like everything mm -hmm. interconnects into like their own way. I think that's, that's where I think the success of their, you know, instructionals come in. But I think it's also just, the, just any good uh, instructional in general, like it's, it's got to have some form of structure to it versus just like hey here's like a bunch of moves like go do them like i think jiu-jitsu starting to evolve beyond that point and, and this is the good part about jiu-jitsu is that you know at this you know today we find ourselves in a spot where a lot of people start putting a lot of thought into this and they're trying to organize this and some kind of you know we call it a system you know uh, but you know concept whatever you want to call it but is it essentially organized thoughts they are they have some kind of relationship between each other and it makes sense we are not just repeating steps we're not repeating techniques we are not just following stupid instructions we can actually make some intelligent decisions behind them and, and that's where these some of these instructions become very phenomenal you know and then you'd still deal with personalities you know like you know some people say i don't like your voice okay well I don't like Aaron's voice. I have to listen but, to him all the time. Listen, I, I, I'm kind of on the, you know, I'm, I'm with you there, but you know, we're still here, so we gotta, I gotta hang out with him. A little I can't more. even but, say your last name. Like, what the hell is that, man? Like, I'm just getting beat up today. This is pretty and, unreal. Aaron, I, I hate to tell you, but I think this whole last name thing is gonna stick around for a while. Like, yeah. I at least apologize first. Like, like I at least said your first name right. <laughs> And he is your and he is your countryman, Aaron. For shame! Uh, unbelievable! Uh, I told you, like I, I called my mom and everything. I tried, Aaron. 
but it's funny what you say because like we have a good friend um uh, sorry um Jordan does jiu-jitsu if you've ever seen his uh, YouTube channel so he like started off with like again like 100 people he's up to like almost 30,000 people on his YouTube channel and so what he does is he commentates his whole like whether it's his rolling or the technique breakdowns that he does he does an overlay as far as the background goes and like it's just him talking right and so you see that you see the comments it'll be like really good comments really good comment really good comments and it's like i hate your voice it's so tiring oh, yeah. it's like oh, yeah. that's all you got i'm like the guy's got slow-mo 4k like great video production and you're just ragging on the voice like fuck off like who are you <laughs> Listen, it, it, you know, I look at it from a perspective. If, if there's not, if there's somebody, there's one, at least not one person who doesn't like you, you're not doing something right, right? Yeah. Like, it's like, so people have to criticize. And unfortunately, as humans, we are, we are always leaning more towards criticism than, than positive, positive, you yeah. know, right? Mm -hmm. We always very easy to, to say, oh, this sucks, you know? I mean, listen, I can tell you how many times people tell me I post videos on, on my Instagram, on my, 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 my YouTube, and somebody comments or sends me a message, this would never work because blah, 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 blah. I was like, shit. I can't yeah. even say your last name, but you're calling I me. Know. <laughs> Techie sucks. That's it. Yeah. I was like, well, good for you, man. Come on to my academy and teach me because I, I don't know what to tell you. It's just, it, it is what it is. You know, it's yeah, people always criticize, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I, I got one more question, just especially we're in this whole competition question. And obviously, we've been talking ADCC, IBJJF, everything. So obviously, September, I believe it is, is the next ADCC, which is going to be exciting. We have the main super fight. We're looking at Andre <laughs> versus Gordon Ryan, right? So my question really is, one, do you think the, the fight will actually happen? And if it does, how do you see it going down? In your know. professional opinion. You, you can't put me on a spot like this. Come on, man. <laughs> it, 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 it's, I don't know. Listen, it's it, the way I look at the, these, both of the guys phenomenal marketers phenomenal marketers they know exactly what they are doing by everything that has unfolded in the last couple of years between them two is that build up to that fight and i really hope that the fight itself really really comes up or steps up to the hype that the fight has right mm. now right it lives because up it to would, the hype hopefully right like ho i'm really hoping so that these guys will really put it on and it really is going to be a good fight and it doesn't have to be anything flashy but just strategic technical you know it's the best of those two guys really competing you know i think both of them have made some interesting comments you know both of them have uh made some interesting strategic steps you know, to benefit themselves, you know, it is what it is, but all that I think is part of them making money. And if you look at both of them, they, they are phenomenal in what they do. I mean, Gordon Ryan, um, you know, I think unquestionably as it stands right now is the best grappler there is out there right now. There is really not many that can challenge him. And those who do really have a hard time. And Andre Galvo, I mean, I'm questionably one of the best of all times. Like you, you, you're looking at two different generations and kind of meeting together at this pivot point of jujitsu. 
So it's going to be very interesting how all this unfolds. Uh, you know, I'll be I'll be watching it. I'll be watching it. That's for sure. That's for sure. But no official prediction from yourself. I don't know. I feel like I'm I'm throwing myself <laughs> under the bus if I say anything <laughs> right now. You know, I, I want both of them. I want both of them to be my BFFs. So I don't know. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, so, it's 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 a hard one. Let the best one wins. That's what I'm gonna say. Okay, put all the trash talking aside. Put 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 all the garbage aside. You know, no more pushing, no more face slapping, none of that. Just resolve it <laughs> on the mat, I say. You know, yeah. and, and those really two guys are the best that, at least mm-hmm. what I've been looking up to. Like, I remember that Andrew when he was coming up, mm-hmm. you know, before the Atos empire has been built. You know, he was one of the guys I always look up to. And then Gordon Ryo came up in the last few years. I mean, it, it, like, he just kind of pop, popped up, if you will, right? And... You know, he was part of the Danahead squad and all that. And then he's phenomenal grappler, not to take away from him, but he's a very skilled guy. And it's going to be really interesting how those two solve that puzzle. It's going to be a really interesting match. And I think it can go, I think it's one of those matches that can go either way. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I can see Andre winning with physicality and like mm-hmm. you know, wrestling. And, and I can see Gordon winning with, basically like sucking him into like a guard and like trying to put Andre into like some really precarious situations where he has to pick and choose what, what he wants. So it's, it's really interesting. I think it's, it's going to come down to who can get the other person to play the other's game. Basically. Let let me ask you guys, do you guys think there will be a submission at that event? Between those two? Between those two. Mm. Or do you think it's going to go to scorecards? That is an interesting question. I think I would, I could see it going to without there being a submission. I think, yeah, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be very difficult for, I think, Galvao to submit Gordon, in my opinion, um, unless he can maybe get his back. That I think that's probably the, his best shot of probably submitting Gordon. And Gordon, I, I think, will. Galvao's submission defense is so good. I don't even remember the last, last time he got submitted. Know. It was like he got submitted with like an inverted triangle with like Braulio Estima like thir- fourteen years ago. Yeah, right. That was like a decade ago. ago. Right. In ADCC, like, so, that was the last time he got submitted in ADCC. But um, I think he's made. But I'm even submitted. thinking, like I'm even thinking deeper. Than that do you think either one of those guys will really tap? Like, do you think yeah, that they will? I, give I don't it think up? so. Be- because of the pressure that's associated with that event or with that, you know, if it takes place, you know, if it yeah. takes place, like, do you think they will even tap? Like, that is a huge, you know, yeah. it's going to be interesting. I, 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 you know, I don't know how much they're getting paid for this, but they're going to make a lot of money on that event. That's for sure. No, and, and you know what? They should. 100%. They uh, should. Absolutely. And, like, and that's where I think where we, we talked about before with athletes making money. It's like, they market it they produce it they put it mm-hmm. out there and then they build all that hype around it they, those athletes deserve to get paid 100 yep. percent. absolutely and I, and I i think that's like anything like if you put all that effort into the build that and you create a market for it you deserve to get paid for that and i i'm a firm believer in that yeah i i agree 100 and and they you know it, that fight's been building up for for, for a while now oh, so yeah. i'm hoping that it's going to take place this year and you know we'll see what's going to happen 
Yeah, for sure. So before we leave, um, like what's up, what's happening with you next? Like what's the next big thing that's happening at Roll Academy or even like with yourself, the kind of things that you want to obviously see in 2022 and beyond? It, it, listen, I, I, I love teaching. That, that, that's my focus right now. You know, it, it's kind of recovery from the pandemic, if you will. I mean, you know, it is a, a sore topic for all jujitsu jiu-jitsu community whether you're pro or against it doesn't matter there was an impact and we're trying to kind of get back uh get back to the swing of things if you will and and i, I do believe that this year is really going to be a big pivot point for jiu-jitsu because we've been kind of just locked up and suppressed mm-hmm. you know without much ability uh, or limited ability to do things so you know we already seeing that so you know, my, my goal is one, to continue doing what I do, teach my students, teach teach in my academy. Um, two, I'm, I, you know, I started last year, started working with BJJ Fanatics, so you mentioned that. And, and mm-hmm. you know, that, 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 that came out um, earlier this year, I think. Yeah, beginning of the year. And I'm, I'm actually flying out to Boston next week. And I'm going to be shooting two more with them. So it, it's, it's going nice. to be a lot of fun. You know, I think you're going to see, um, you know, the, the, the brand of my name out there more and more often at this point. And, and it's, it's very refreshing to see that recognition and, and um, ability to share some of the jujitsu that I've been sharing locally. Now there's an opportunity to share that more internationally, if you will. So and then hang out with you guys, you know, it, it's always fun awesome. to, to, ch- to chat about jujitsu and, and have a good conversation. You got any big sponsors you want to shout out? Show your role. We got we got Spirit Leaf Waterdown, Aaron, located at 64 Hamilton Street North. Um, in Illinois, I don't know if you have the old MJ CBD, any any of that that's fully legal down there, but up in Canada, 420 is legal, and you can find it at Spirit Leaf Waterdown, located at Aaron. 64 Hamilton Street North in Waterdown, Ontario. <laughs> there you go. If you ever come up here, we'll take you over there because every day it's 420. That's it. I love it. Perfect. Awesome. Well, Thomas, it's been an awesome pleasure to have you on the show today. I really do appreciate you coming on. Uh, definitely, if we're in Chicago anytime soon, we definitely want to come out and hang out with you, especially at your academy as well. Oh, please do. Please do. I'm, 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 I'm a huge fan of people stopping, stopping by, visitors and so on. If you guys are ever in the area, Make sure you connect. Make sure you stop by, and uh, we'll catch couple. We we'll catch couple rolls, and, and go to lunch or coffee, whatever, whatever works at that time. Yeah, sounds absolutely great. Uh, definitely. All right, thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. Thanks, everybody.